I can vividly recall the moment when both the children were born. Well, that's not quite true. I can remember with Frances because she came normal means. Ben was an emergency cesarean, so it was more a case of when I first saw him after Louise had been sewn up and things and, and brought out of theatre. But I can remember seeing these two little bundles of humanity and that sense of love that hit me for these two little morsels. And we need to remember, I suppose, that speaks of how love has explosive potential. When we dare to love, we are doing something incredible, and in a way, we are doing something that hopefully transforms, touches, enables those who are the recipients of the love that we bring. And as we come to this important point in the year when we renew our covenant, we are, in a sense, coming to remind ourselves that this is all about love. God's love for us and our response to the care that we have received. In this, I think, beautiful service of recommitment, we are acknowledging what God has done and we're inviting ourselves to make a response to realise the way in which love encourages us to go on a journey and to seek to be God's people. In a sense, to recognise that love is like a stick of dynamite and we need to try and light the fuse so that it can explode and that the ripples can be felt and experienced by people to gain a sense of the love that we've discovered in our continuing walk with God. So we're going to pause and think about this love. And the first thing we need to say about this love is that it's written on our hearts. One of the things I struggle with and still don't understand is the appeal of barbecues. Why do you want to eat meat that is burnt and blackened on the outside. I don't really get it. And it's also the, the link, when your neighbours have one, there's that lingering smell of burning meat that really doesn't do much for me, I have to say. And that's the nearest I can get to the picture of what it must have been like in the Jerusalem temple when they were making sacrifices. There must have been an incredible stench as all this meat was brought forward to be sacrificed. And it almost feels to me like you couldn't have really gone without sensing this acrid smell that in a way, rather than being inducive to worship, I think must have really perhaps have put people off. And that was how the worship was going on. And then in 621 BC, there was found in the temple a scroll, which we think is what we now call Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And that in a way changed the worship of the Jews. It was the precursor of the development of the synagogues, rather than everything being focused on the temple. And the great key element of it isn't described in those words that Jeremiah delivers to us about how the law is now written on our hearts. No longer there in statues that in a way were satisfied by you bringing your, your bull, your pigeon, your lamb, whatever it may be, the key thing now is 
is what's in here. And the way that we respond. What is our heart made up of? Is it full of love? Or are there other things that in a way compete for attention as we respond and react to the world that is around us? This idea of love law being written on our hearts reminds us that God's potential is within us and we need to seek to allow it to shine forth, to to break out, to touch the world. One I think of the most challenging verse in the New Testament is where the, the women are told, and I think this applies to us men as much as it applies to the women, is women are told, wives, that you should be able to convert your husband without saying a word. And when I think about that, it's a staggering recommendation, a thought, that actually, if we get this idea of what's written on our heart well and do it properly and live it, then we shouldn't need to say a word because that love should be evident. This love is written on our hearts and this love, secondly, is the way of Jesus. You can see a picture of Jesus when he encounters those who are mourning the loss of Lazarus, his friend. And in that shortest verse in the Bible, it simply says, Jesus wept. There you see love. On the other extreme, you can go with Jesus into the temple when he upsets the tables of the money changers, when he gets annoyed with what's going on there and lambasts those who are indulging in these practices that he knows are wrong. And in a very real way there, you see love as well. Because he wants the place where his father is worshipped to be pure and not sullied by those who are using it for what we might call business purposes. So when Jesus says... A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, he in effect is saying to us, here is the dynamic potential. Here is the possibility. And what I think that invites us to do is to immerse ourselves in the gospel story. One of the best ways of reading the Gospels is to to look at a passage and then try to imagine that you were there. Try to picture the the, the scene to get a sense of of the smells, to get a, a picture of the look on people's faces as they interact with this man Jesus, as they see him about what he was doing. And in trying to get that picture in our minds, trying to get that realisation, rather than just reading a set of words, will hopefully allow ourselves to see something that far more than what the text alone tells us. 
and see the way that those who are involved react to what has happened. So if you want, you can go back to either the scene in the temple or the scene at Lazarus' deathbed and try to imagine what it would have felt like for those who were there as they saw love made manifest there in front of them. Be it the emotional reaction to what happened with Lazarus or be it that anger inspired by love because something was wrong and Jesus wanted to make it right. Turn it upside down. Allow it to be what it should be rather than what humans had allowed it to become. Which says to us that this Jesus way of love is not a human way. It comes from God and we need to try to emulate that in everything we do. It needs to be our key guiding principle as to how what we are doing at any moment in time lives in the light of that love that we see in Jesus. It needs us to think about how we greet people when we're just walking about town, especially those that we don't know. How we respond to the people we encounter. How we use our resources. How we react as a church to the world beyond our walls. Where is love in all of this? Because if you go back to the Jesus story and immerse yourself in it, you see love flooding out of him to all manner of people, even those who antagonized him. You gain the sense of Jesus trying to show them that rather than being pompous and arrogant and looking down their noses at people, they should actually be responding in love because that's a much better balm. It's a much better medicine. If you want to change someone, haranguing them won't really help. Loving them will make a huge difference. And there are lots of people, from those who spent time in prisons to those who've just been loved by their neighbours, who have received this love. And without any great attempt, if you like, to explore and explain the gospel, have recognised something of the potential that love has. And when that love is motivated by faith, it can bring something that is truly and wondrously beautiful. When in the Bible we read that God's soul of the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. When we hear those familiar words, what does it do in here? What's your reaction to it? Because in a way, I think it suggests to us that if our reaction is one of humility, surprise that God is mindful of a sinner like like me, like you, then that allows us to see what this majestic thing we call love can do.
So love's written on our hearts. Love is the Jesus way. And then thirdly, love is about our response. When we moved, I mean, I've shown you this before, when we moved into the old Gargave Roadmans, it being slightly large, our beloved, my beloved sister-in-law bought us this so that we could summon the children to eat, I think, or something. And it was a great act of love, but it is the world's worst gong because <laughs> it's a horrible, horrible noise. So when in that passage Angela read, it talked about a clanging gong, I have here the perfect example. And if you had to listen to this with regularity, it would drive you bonkers. So if you misbehave, it'll be appearing on a regular basis. No, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lovely thing, but it's a horrendous thing because it makes that awful noise. It's a really good illustration that Paul uses of an awful noise because you got that instant reaction when you heard it. When Paul talks in this glorious passage about the love, he is in effect saying to us, is this who you are? Find yourself five minutes this afternoon and sit down with the Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians 13 and where it says love, put your name. You'll have been told to do this before, but it's a really good exercise because in a sense it allows us to see where we are and whether we're inclined to be a clanging gong or whether we are hopefully something that has a slightly more pleasing impact. As we said, this covenant service is about God's love for us. But importantly, it's about our response. It, it's an intriguing thing amongst Methodists because there are those who will get out of their sickbed to come to covenant service as there are those who will stay away because they think it's too hard. And it's all focused on one phrase that we will use in a little while that says, uh, put me to what you will, rank me with whom you will. And some misinterpret that as saying, God, weigh me down with the troubles of the world. Send me somewhere horrendous to do something that I'm not able to do. It doesn't mean that. What it means is our saying to God, you've shown your love to me. I have been privileged to receive and know this love revealed in Jesus Christ. And now I'm saying, now we're saying, and what of me? And if it means that God sends us to some far-flung part, that may happen. But much more likely is it's God saying to us, continue to live out this way of love where you are. This covenant is about our direction, our discipleship our worship, our evangelism, all aspects of church life and asking ourselves how the message of love is seen in what we do individually and collectively. How this beautiful thing touches us and has the potential to touch the world. So today... I suppose we're asking ourselves this. 
have we grasped how much God loves us? Or do we put things in the way like saying, he can't love me because ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum. Have we grasped God loves us in spite of our failings, in spite of our faults, in spite of the fact that we mess up? God loves us. Seen in Jesus and his sacrifice for us upon the cross so that we can be part of God's family. We can be his children. Have we grasped how much God loves us? Have we grasped how important it is to live that way of love out there in the world? To be mindful of the way that we present to the world and ask how we can more ably allow that love to flow through. Because thirdly, have we grasped how much the world needs love. How much our neighbours need love. How much our families need love. And are we ready to seek to love in the way that Christ loves us? Are we ready to live anew as we strive to be the people of God's care. It's that choice, isn't it? Do we want to sound like this? Or do we want something more beautiful? Because the invitation to us is to move from being like a sounding clanging gong and becoming love and becoming something that is so beautiful that people might look at us, see the outworking of God within us and go, wow, I want some of that. I need some of that. How do I gain some of that. Are we ready to be God's loving people and hopefully allow love to transform us and transform our world? Amen.